From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast-growing startups work with me because they want to become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. And this podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone, residing in and born and raised from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. He is the founder and CEO of AutoClose. Please welcome Sean Finder. Thanks for having me on, Rajiv. He is Sean Finder, the CEO of AutoClose. What is AutoClose? It is a full outbound sales engagement software. AutoClose has been around for two and a half years. They recently reached a million dollars in ARR. They're grown at 35% year over year and have reached 42 employees. They've done all of this bootstrapped. Today with Sean, we're talking about a topic that has never been discussed on this show before, and I'm really excited about it. It is not all sales cycles are created equal. Now, before we dive into the episode, I want to make the disclaimer. This is being recorded in, I would say, I don't know yet if it's the height, but it's being recorded in the midst of coronavirus pandemic. So if you hear a difference in audio quality, it's because it's, I'm not in the normal podcast studio. So the pre-recorded introduction that you heard when it said the Hype HQ studio, technically not the Hype HQ studio for this episode. Sean is at home, so you might hear his dog barking in the background, but <laughs> bear with us as we try and work together through this. Now, Sean, again, our topic is not all sales cycles are created equal. Can you tell me why this is near and dear to your heart and why it's important to you? Well, I'll tell you, because that's one thing that, you know, working at different organizations, um, working in different sales positions, um, people go into a sales role and say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to sell something in the first week, or it's going to take me three weeks of training, and then I'm going to sell in the first month. But there's different factors you have to look at within a sales cycle um, because everything is not, it depends on a, you know, what is the product or service you are providing? Is it a, you know, is a product that is, you know, also uh, $25, a subscription model, or is it something that might be a hardware for $10,000? So your, your sales cycle might be a lot different there um, depending on the price point. Um, also what I found is a lot of people look at, you know, how quickly can a prospect get an ROI? So you, also, when you are looking at that sales cycle, your prospect is also looking at how quickly can they get an ROI on buying that. So that will also depend on your sales cycle. And then lastly, I would say, um, you know, just to give a quick glimpse into it is, where is that prospect in the hierarchy of the company? Are you talking to somebody that's a manager director or are you talking to a C-level person that makes that decision? So the sales cycle will be different with who, whoever you're talking to at that company. We are going to dive all into that in just a few moments, but first, let's get to know Sean, the man first. Now, 
Pretty interestingly enough, as I've learned, you were a tennis star growing up and you were kind of like charting a trail to become the next Andre Agassi. I don't know if that's by your estimation or by the tennis <laughs> authorities' estimation, but tell me, um, let's start here. What made you decide to drop tennis and pursue business? Amazing question. So um, I was, uh, I was on the top ranked. I was number two in Canada, but I had a world ranking in tennis. Um, and I was the same age as Roger, Roger Federer, so I'm 37 now. Um, and what happened was it came to a point where, like, you get to 18 years old and you have to make the decision, do you want to continue on with tennis? And if you, if you fail or you get injured, you have to fall back and, and, and maybe be a tennis coach or something around tennis, or you go the education route. So I'm not going to lie, I did not have much of a choice. Um, <laughs> at that point, um, there was never a tennis player that made a career off tennis. Now we are amazing at tennis. we got four of the top players. So my mom goes, you're going to go do your MBA because you can't rely on tennis. And I said, but I want to be a tennis star. I want to be like Andre Agassi. She goes, the chances are slim to none. Go the education route. So I ended up going the education route and getting an MBA. And that's where I had to drop tennis because I want to go tennis, but my parents wouldn't let me actually um, go. Because at that point, as I said, you know, no one's actually made a career out of tennis. So we are blaming mom and dad for the fact that we got Federer and Nadal all these years instead of Federer versus Finder. Oh, I, I, my, double, my doubles partner still to this day is actually a top 50 doubles partner in the world. Wow. And he's making it. And I'm, uh, well, I guess I'm, I'm still happy. I'm growing a company. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're making it as well. Now, uh, you know, I'm a former athlete myself. I ran track in high school, ran for a year in college. Um, I've had many people on, many entrepreneurs on the show who had some athletic background to them, whether it was college or high school. And I always think there's a story or, a le or lessons learned from the world of sports that apply to business. So yep. what do you think are maybe the top one, two, or three things that you learned in tennis that have helped you in business? Well, I will tell you, tennis is the reason why I am a successful entrepreneur. And here's the reason. And not only tennis, I would say any, any sport. Sports teach you a few things. A, to be competitive and B, networking, which is your most intangible tool. So what happened was when I, was, when I finished my tennis career, I taught tennis for seven years, the national team, but I was also teaching people and I'd always ask, oh, what did your parents do? And when I went to do my MBA, my three co-op positions were all through the parents of the people I taught tennis to. So I would say the most important thing that tennis brought me was it helped me network. And even to this day, some of our clients here, some of our bigger, biggest clients are actually through who I met through teaching them in tennis. So I would say networking is the number one tool and the best thing. And obviously, you know, com being competitive is, is a great thing for salespeople as well. Awesome. Now, one, one other question I want to ask you, not tennis related, but yeah. uh, when I told you coming into this, I was going to ask you, or I was going to introduce you like a pro wrestler. You said, oh, I used to watch wrestling as a kid. So who, yeah. who was your favorite wrestler growing up? Macho man, Randy Ooh. Savage. <laughs> Cream of the crop. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, uh, maybe you're becoming the macho man of sales engagement software. Some might say, most people wouldn't, but I would be the one to say that. Uh, okay, so let, let's, let's talk now about auto-close. Um, let's, let's start here. Give our listeners a background. You know, I gave a very brief overview of it, but give our listeners a background of the software, the company, and how it got started. Okay, so auto-close, as I said, is, a, is an all-in-one sales engagement platform that has both the sales engagement plus a built-in database that people can use for prospecting. So how did they get there? Um, 
after I, uh, I finished my MBA, I started working for a software company. And what happened was the first week we had a, a list of, of data of numbers and emails. And I was like, okay, we just bought this for five grand from a company that was doing billions of dollars. And the data quality was terrible. And I'm like, well, why don't I just start a company that provides good data? So I did that for a year while I was working as a VP of sales. And when I made my first sale, I left my six figure job and made $49 and 99 cents and started my first company called exchange leads. Now exchange leads was a data company. We only provided data. And then, and then what happened? Our clients, you were using it saying, Sean, we love the data, but we have to find another tool to actually email the data. I'm like, huh? So after a year of getting big clients, we kind of went to a standstill where we didn't know like how to continue to grow at a rapid speed. And I didn't want to pay the Canadian government a lot of money in taxes with our profit. So I said, let's build another product. And we built AutoClose, which is the email tool that runs AutoClose. So Exchange Leads and AutoClose both run separately, but AutoClose has the data from Exchange Leads inside. And that's how we came up with the, the AutoClose, which is now uh, almost two and a half years old. And Exchange Leads is about four and a half years old. So are you still selling Exchange Leads or is it just it comes packaged with AutoClose? Both. Uh, I would say we, we focus strictly on AutoClose and the data. The database is white labeled, but we do have companies like you know, VMware, DHL, Rogers, who we're still buying data from exchange leads. So that company is still incorporated so we can get those contracts. Got it. Okay. And maybe they just got another system that they're using then to do the, the Yeah. It's, it's also, you know, when you're a preferred vendor with exchange leads for us to go to them now and say, okay, we have to change that. It's a lot of paperwork. So <laughs> I'd rather just keep exchange leads there. Um, and then they could, uh, sure. <laughs> Reduce the headaches. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the topic is not all sales cycles are created equal. And as you mentioned at the start, when I asked why it's near and dear to you, it's because, um, you know, you talked about how you could have the same number of days in two different customers and it, or yeah. it could take the same amount of effort essentially with two wildly different customers producing two wildly different, um, contract values. So yeah. when you launched auto close, initially, and I, you know, I'm going to guess it was, you just pulled exchange leads customers over, but, what was like your customer profile at that point and how is that different from, or how, how did that change over time? I should say. That's an amazing question. And that's something that I think a lot of companies miss is so a you're right. Yes. We, we did up, upsell all of our exchange leads clients, but what we did strategically also, and this is something I'd recommend to anyone starting a business is we built a landing page six months before the day of our launch of AutoClose. And what we did was we promoted AutoClose to everyone as a coming soon. And every week, we would send them any improvement we made on the development of AutoClose. So it's like building a condo. We made our clients and prospects feel like they were building AutoClose with us. So when we actually had our launch day, we sent an email saying, the product is finished. We want to give you exclusive access for the month of January. And we booked, I think, almost 800 demos just by having that email list and doing all that, that generating all that hype before launch. So that's how it come. And, and when we first started, I would say we had a lot of solopreneurs a lot of small business, but we didn't really know what our buyer's persona was. It wasn't until about four months later when we sat in the boardroom and spent 12 hours building out our pains and gains. Um, but I think, you know, over time what we decided was we want to get away from those really solopreneurs and small businesses because those are the ones that are headaches. Those are the ones that credit cards come insufficient funds. Those are the ones that decline credit cards. Those are the ones that if they don't get an ROI in the first week, they're calling you saying, I didn't get an ROI. I can't keep spending money with you. And that's, we can continue to make that shift into SMB where we are now, where we're trying really with the small and medium sized businesses 
we're not going after the enterprise whale clients, but we're trying to stay in that, that, that little SMB market. How, you know, and I feel like different companies define SMB slightly yeah. differently. So how do you narrow, how does AutoClose narrowly define SMB? So we like to go after companies that are like 50 to 200 employees. And the reason why is we look at a company that has 50 to 200 employees at 200 employees, they might have 40, 50 people in sales. And then we want to go after those companies that are those 50, those 50 sales teams. Sure. Sure. Okay. All right. Now you said that you were hitting the point where if it like the solopreneurs and the truly small businesses yeah. were saying, Hey, this isn't working for us after like a week. And it was just really, it's, it sounds like the risk was too high on their end to, to continue with the product. Right. And therefore they were churning. Yeah, they were churning or like, for example, like now, you know, we're going through a pandemic, for example, most people can't, you know, they, they can't, a lot of people don't think they can prospect when they should be, but you'll get the small solopreneurs that are just trying to keep their businesses open right now. And they're, they're pausing and canceling. Whereas the S and B clients are like guys, like no excuses. We have to still run a business in yeah. three months, keep going. So we're finding that you, know, you might have the one person teams that are canceling where the, the, the five to 10 person team are actually like, let's get 10 more accounts and they'll double down on it. So that's what the big difference is. Um, but I think you get a lot of support headaches. You get people that don't know how to use tools, how to use a CRM, how to use a sales mm -hmm. engagement tool when they are too small. And I like to say, you know, it's tough to teach old dogs new tricks. So if you have a guy that's been in business 20 years, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to learn Salesforce, auto close or anything. Sure. Okay. Now when you have that coming up, um, where you just found the smaller companies were just too much of a hassle, you know, and I think you'll find too, like, I'm sure you did that it like their, their consideration took just as long or maybe longer to, to even buy the software. Right. Oh, it, uh, I will tell you it actually, and I learned this from exchange leads and I've brought that into autoclose. It took longer for me at exchange leads to close a $49 and 99 cent deal on a monthly basis. than it did for me to get a PO for $175,000. <laughs> okay. And let me tell you, I did not hear for the full year of the $175,000 deal. I did not even hear or get an email from them. Whereas the $49 and 99 cent deal, I mean, everything that went wrong, you know, my email didn't deliver. I asked for it at 11 o'clock. It was delivered at 1102. That's what we would get in, in our support channel. You know, so I have a similar story. Um, a couple of years ago, I had created a virtual accelerator style program called Hype Man Academy, which was designed for early stage startups yeah. to walk them through essentially like what I would do in consulting, okay. um, but in a more like group workshop format. Yeah. So it was like, hey, we're going to build out your elevator pitch. We're going to build out your investor pitch deck. We're going to talk about the fundamentals of selling your product, um, all those things. And my logic was, you know, to that point, I had been doing the in-person or, you know, like the, the, the live consulting with yeah. companies, but it was tough to find enough early stage companies who could, you know, spend on a several thousand dollar consulting package. Yep. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to create a $997 virtual program. Yep. You know, we'll live workshop it and all that stuff. Um, and it'll be way easier. And what I found <laughs> was that it was 
arguably harder yeah. to sell 997 than it was to sell. I mean, I think at that point I was doing like seven, $8,000 consulting packages. Um, and then compare that to today where most of my work is focused on like, I'd say companies that are around like auto closes stage, like scale stage companies that are 50 yeah. you know, ish employees um, where the consulting now and it's more sales and marketing focus is 20, 30, $40,000 consulting. And I'm telling you like, just as you've experienced, it is the same or shorter sales cycle with less weird objections in the in-between. Uh, there's a pretty clear understanding of like why this is important and what to do about it. And, and I believe, and I'm sure you've seen this too, like you mentioned the PO scenario. Yeah. At whether it's $9.97 for a company that just started or $8,000 for a company that's three months old. Um, it is, it, that purchase represents such a higher percent of their business yeah. than in your case, 175K deal for a, you know, whatever, 50 person sales team. That represents such a small, a much smaller slice of the overall revenue that that company brings in versus mm. it, when you were selling a $50 product to a freelancer, you know, that's like, that's what, $600 a year. Yeah, uh, which maybe they're doing fifty thousand dollars in revenue all year. So that's exactly. like a big piece of their business, then. Yeah, and it was just you know it was just the, it was also the amount of time they took from our support team. Like I mean, the smaller businesses they just don't know how to use the platform properly, and you know they would write they would write for example like we had funny stories where um, we had we had clients that would um, they they they'd send an email out and their like their subject line was like free free trial. I'm like, well, you're going right into spam. Yeah. You know? So, or there'd be like one person with the, the, the best one we had was one person that was a small business. He goes, he goes, Sean, I sent the email out, but nobody, I have a 0% click rate on the email. What's wrong with your platform? And we look oh, at the God. email and there's nothing to click. Oh, so if you have nothing, so, so that, those are the kind of things we were going through. Um, and we've slowly, it took, you know, it took about a year and a half to get up there, but we've slowly moved to that small business, which is good. Well, tell me then like, you know, at, at what point were you like, okay, enough is enough, right? Because you had these things coming up, but were you like, okay, 50 people have been coming to us with this? Or do you remember like that moment when you were like, we have to make a change? Well, it's also uh, smaller businesses and companies with one employee, they don't want commitment. So they want to go month to month. Whereas, you know, when you get to the stage where we're kind of, we're past the start, we're in like that growth stage right now. Um, if we ever want to get acquired by a company or merge with a company or, or, or get an exit, they want people on annual contracts. Mm -hmm. So we needed, so we couldn't get the commitment from the, from the boss. Well, so I had to kind of adjust a lot of things in my company to make sure that, okay, you know, we don't have a plan to get acquired, but say we get acquired a year from now, two years, three years, five years, we have to plan now that, okay, we need people signing a year contract because what the investor is going to look at is what is your ARR? What is your MRR? But if I only show, okay, we have an MRR, but our churn rate is this, et cetera, et cetera, you know, it, it wouldn't look good. So we have to try and get those bigger, bigger companies with, you know, 20, 30, 40 reps. And that's what we've been going for the last few months. Tell me about when you made that transition. Um, did you have a target list in mind of who to go after and what, what, how did the sales process differ? Yeah. So it's, it's actually very interesting. So what we do is we use auto close obviously for our own prospecting. We have, we have 50 accounts we use per, for, for four people um, in our sales team. And then we use LinkedIn. We use social selling with a combination of our tool. 
Um, and how that works is we actually only target VPs of sales and CEOs, for example, of 50 to 200 employees. So we go on sales navigator and we target that in our database inside auto close. We only target people there. If we have people that are a solopreneur that want it, instead of having my sales team now do a demo with them and wasting 45 minutes, it's like go and sign a 14 day trial. If you like it, you know, it's a la carte. You go and do it. We don't have our team actually spend time with it. So that's kind of how it's, um, it's changed a little bit. Um, but it's, it's definitely something that takes time. And we also hired SDRs, account executives, customer success managers. So there's a whole process through to make that, that transaction happen. Okay. Um, I want to talk through the, some of the, ch- the changes you've seen in the, the, the bigger customers. But before I do that, I just want to take a sidebar here and let our listeners know about a new partner of the show in Sales Hacker. So if you've been a longtime listener of the show, then you know that I'll feature more B2B startups like AutoClose. And if you didn't know, Sales Hacker is the world's smartest community for forward-thinking B2B professionals. They have 135,000 members, which means whether you're a CEO like Sean or a head of sales or a sales rep, Sales Hacker is just going to help you flat out get better at your job with things like podcasts, articles, webinars, and research from actual sales experts and practitioners, including yours truly, the startup hype man. I contribute content every now and then. It's no fluff from outside people just trying to build up their own lead list. It's just a straight dope to grow your sales acumen. I'm a huge fan of Sales Hacker, and I'm really excited to have them as a partner of the podcast. All you have to do to get involved with all that content, the webinars, the research, the articles, the podcast, is go to saleshacker.com and just enter your email address. Uh, They send out a newsletter every week. And then on top of that, you can just access everything on their website. Again, that is saleshacker.com. Today, we are with Sean Finder, the CEO and founder of AutoClose, talking about not all sales cycles are created equal. So Sean, as you move, made that transition into the, um, into the small business market, small SMB market, which was bigger than your, you know, your, your truly small and more or less like solopreneur market before, um, you mentioned how you could just let them like trial it out as part of the sales process. How did you decide, Hey, X number of days is good enough for them to get a piece of it or get a taste of it. And then how did you also encourage them to actually use it? Because oftentimes people will give free trial, but the person on the other end will forget to use it because it's free. 100% and I do agree with you. So how, what we implemented is I actually hired a customer success manager specifically for that role. So when somebody signs up for 14 day trial, we have like a white glove approach where we reach out to them. If they don't you know, set up their email right away, et cetera, our, SD, our customer success is on them to get them signed up because we find if we can get that person actually use it over the 14 days, we convert obviously a lot higher rate than if somebody did. So um, that's one of the things I think a lot of companies don't do enough of. They don't spend enough time on the 14 day trials because a, to have an employee just calling 14 day trials all day is probably expensive. Um, mm-hmm. So we're lucky that we, I, you know, I, we have a team out in Europe as well. So the team in Europe is actually doing, doing that, but it's one of the, the best things we've done was hiring our, our success to do that as well as onboard and train any new client because the first time a client uses your platform is the most important. You want them to feel like they understand it. It's easy to use the user interface. So hiring that role is very important, but that is a great point by you, Rajiv, because I'll tell you that's something that we learned about five months ago. When we made that hire for a customer success manager. With this um, slightly bigger market, the small business market, 
now when you were selling to the solopreneurs and the, the truly small teams, I would almost guarantee you were only ever having to speak with one person. Yep. Oftentimes people's hesitancy to go up market or not necessarily hesitancy, but just a concern or issue that has to be addressed is, well, now there's multiple decision makers and now there's a little bit more bureaucracy. And a lot of times it can take longer. Yep. What type of decision-making process have you found it to be like on the buyer side? I go from the top down. So I actually start with the CEO and say, hey, you know, if it's a 200-person company, CEOs are still very involved. If you're talking to a company that does 10,000 employees, it's different. So I might reach out to a CEO and say, hey, you know, um, my uh, my VP of sales is looking for who we should contact that evaluates sales tools. Who would that contact be? They give you the contact and then you go to that contact and say, hey, just got off the call or just got off LinkedIn with so-and-so who's your CEO. He thought it'd be a good idea for us to have a quick demo, quick quick call. You have 15 minutes this week, et cetera. So I actually go top down. I do have salespeople on my, you know, on my team that go bottom up. I've always been the guy that, listen, I go for the top and if I, you know, wherever I land, I land. Yeah. Um, so I like to go that way, but uh, I think it all depends on what works for you because each salesperson is different. Everyone's approach is different. Um, mm-hmm. but that's something that's worked for me. Like, I mean, I, I remember back in the day when I, when I was at, when I got, um, the, the, the big deal at exchange rates, I went up to a C level person and mm-hmm. I, and then they, they introduced me to the VP level person and the V level person actually introduced me to the director who was actually the person making the decision had the budget, but I went right from the top down. It took me about two, three weeks, but like, I just want to make sure that when that person in the director role knows that the C level VP level already spoke to me, they take you more serious. Of course. Of course. Um, yeah. And the, and the company I'm talking about had almost, I think it was like, you know, 25, 30,000 employees at the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I, I, I also go straight to the CEO almost always. Um, and so for example, like someone like you is who I would contact first. And then if you need to put me in touch with the VP of sales, you would. Uh, but I'm typically like pitching you as the CEO about, more or less like my value prop is here's what I, here's what the situation is at your company. Here's where I can help. Here's how it would make you look good as the CEO or and, exactly. and make your company look good, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and part of my sales process oftentimes is actually doing like a demo review, like doing a sample review of one of their demo calls with one of their reps. And if I did it the other way where like I went to the rep first said, Hey, I can review a demo call. They're probably going to say, no, I don't know who you are. Like, don't waste me. my time. <laughs> yeah. Don't waste my time. Or if they said yes, they just be like, thanks. That was, that was super helpful. And because they're not buyers. So it's not ever on their mind to be like, oh, I should introduce you to my CEO or to my yeah. VP of sales. Yeah. And if I did make that ask, they'd be like, uh, I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. Cause they just don't have that. Like, you know, usually they don't have that authority yet in the company. Exactly. But when you go top down, and the CEO says, or the COO or whoever it is, right, says, hey, SDR, hey, AE, I want you to meet with Raj. He's going to work with you on this thing real quick. What are they going to do? Say, no, thanks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what type of, um, I guess, what's been the difference in objections you've seen? I mean, obviously, like with the earlier companies, you mentioned some of the things, some of the problems they were having, but with these 200-ish person companies, 40, 50 person sales teams. What objections come up? So it's interesting. So with the small businesses, it's they want to return on their investment right away. 
if they don't get a return on their investment right away, they want to cancel because, you know, time is money and money is time. So that's what we found with the smart. Then once we got into like our reps where they have 50 reps, it was more their manager wants to know they're not really, they, they are worried about the results, but they're more worried about, are they using it? Mm-hmm. So if they have 50 users using it, one of our bigger clients has I don't know, 75 users now on the platform, it's almost like 10 a week. And they just want reports on who's actually using the platform where the small business want to know, I haven't made money on it in a week. I want to cancel where any tool you use needs some tweaking. Um, and you know, a sales engagement tool, you're not going to get the results in two days. It's, you have to follow up with your prospects. So that could take two, three weeks, but um, you know, solopreneurs and small, small businesses, they don't have patience. Yeah. I, it, tell me if you found this as well. Cause I know I did. My own stress level was so much higher when I was trying to sell smaller price to smaller companies. Oh, it, and not only that, you're also worried about, okay, like, you know, early on we had, we had, okay, they would sign up. I had, this is an interesting story. I had a guy that signed up. He sent us a, a PayPal. We sent him the data. He emails me saying he loves the data and then called PayPal and wanted his money back. And as you know, on PayPal, they automatically like, yeah, like, they don't question. Yeah. They don't question. They get money back. So I hear him like, but you sent me an email saying that you're getting results. You close deals. He's like, yeah, but I just want my money back. And then I actually had to fight with PayPal and PayPal never goes with the seller. The merchant. Yeah. And I actually won. But I was like, <laughs> like at that point, so that from that point on, you know, we also changed that any deal over $5,000 a wire transfer because people uh. can, people can pay credit cards or PayPal. They can love your product. And a year from now, I'll be like, okay, I'm not even sure, you know, a small business will be like VP of sales signed up for five grand. A month later, they get fired. A month later, the C goes, well, I never approved that. I'm asking for a refund. So you, right. we had so many stories and that's why we kind of tried to move up the, up the ladder. Yeah. So well, it sounds like you're doing a good job at it. Let me ask you one more question before we begin our wrap up. Um, if you were looking at another company, let's say, let's say another company um, brought you in as an outside consultant and was like, hey, assess our market here and let us know, should we move up market or stay where we are or move down market? What are some like indicators you'd be looking for? It's a good question. So one indicators would be uh, churn rate. Um, you know, what is your churn rate? Um, also, I would look at, um, you know, are you hiring a sales team? Because one of the things we had and we had to do was if I'm selling $49 subscriptions, I can't hire a sales guy for $60,000. Mm. I got to sell a lot of $49 subscriptions. So you have to make sure the price point of your product can allow you to hire a salesperson and also make them commission because no one wants to make a commission off a $100 deal. Well, I'm going to give you $20. Or if it's at least a $5,000 deal, they make a grand per commission. So those are the two things I would say you have to look at is where you want to be a year. So don't look, don't look right now. Look short-term, long-term. And also be like, how am, I going to get a, how am I going to build out my sales team? And is the price point of what I'm selling at good enough that I can buy and hire sales teams? Um, so those would be the two things I would do. Okay. To the point about the churn rate, you said you'd look at churn rate, but what is a, like, what's a range or a number or a percent yeah. rather that so, makes you say one versus the other? So we were at about a 16 to 18% churn rate when we had very small businesses. Wow. Um, and that was in our first year. We've lowered that now to about 5.5%. And that's simply because the bigger the company, they don't churn as quick. And we've also put in now, you know, a lot of more enterprise and small, medium features in the platform. So um, we had a big churn rate at the beginning because there's people that would come in, they were just, 
try it out for a month or they would abuse the system. Email as many as they can in a month, cancel for a month, rebook again, and that all affects your turn rate. Okay. Let's begin our wrap up then. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and that's, that's kind of crazy that you had a 16, 18%. Sure. I mean, I can imagine you were like, what the hell is going on here when those were yeah. the numbers? Uh, and you did find out what the hell was going on. So to begin our wrap up, um, where can our, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you and learn more about auto close? Yeah. So t- in touch with me, um, LinkedIn, I'm always uh, active on LinkedIn. Just look for Sean Finder. Email Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at autoclose.com, and that's autoclose with a K. Um, if you want any information about our tool, www.autoclosewithak.com. Um, but those are the three ways to get a hold of me. Now, um, we'll do our top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on the discussion today. I'll go first, and then I'll toss it to you, although I might steal your thunder in the process because I think... Um, so our topic today was not all sales cycles are created equal specifically around, should you be, you know, if you have 30 days to make a sale, should you focus on higher volume, lower value customers or lower volume, higher value customers? If, if, uh, you know, if all things equal and you're going to get roughly the same sales cycle, uh, to me, the really key things that you said were right at the very end there, which was if you're trying to make that decision, what is the value of the sale versus how much is this, like, like does the salesperson's commission need to be? So yeah. that helps you just do the math on it. And then looking at key indicators like churn rate. But then I think too, like qualitatively, what friction comes up in the sales process and is that friction scalable? Sean, what top one or two takeaways or lessons for the listeners? Well, I would say, you know, all businesses, all salespeople, um, you, you go through pivots and you go through up and downs, but the most important is don't make any decisions on panic. Um, as we're going through this pandemic right now, <laughs> very timely advice. don't make decisions on panic. Um, things, it might take short term, might be medium term, but uh, I think that's what a lot of people, a lot of business owners do. They're, you know, they're, they're trying to see if they'll still be able to exist in a few months. So don't make decisions on panic and don't, don't, don't pivot on panic. Um, you know, if something was working two months ago and just because now we're going through a little thing, you know, in the market and in the economy and everywhere, um, things will change. Um, and I would say, um, you know, in a sales cycle, the most important thing and not as enough salespeople are doing up this, the most important thing for a salesperson in a sales cycle is follow-ups. I didn't mention a lot about follow-ups, but a lot of CEOs, a lot of business owners, a lot of people are busy. You will not probably get that return on your investment or that email back on your first email. So make sure you're following up in those sequence and that will help shorten your sales cycle. Mm. My final question, fill in the blank. Entrepreneurship is blank. Is a grind. Um, You know, I went into entrepreneurship thinking, okay, this will be easy. I'll get acquired in two years. I'll be a millionaire. It doesn't happen. It's, it's hours and hours, you know, you're working a lot. You got to wear many hats. Sometimes you got to go into support. Sometimes you got to go into sales, but entrepreneurship or sales is a grind. Um, you have to follow up with it. If you're in sales, you have to continue to go. You can't make this pandemic say, okay, nobody's buying now. People are buying. You need to fill the top of your sales funnel. You need to be ready for when this pandemic hits its peak and starts on descending down or finishes that you are ready to get right back into the saddle and start selling again. Yeah, I think the, you know, you can either turtle and cower away or you can, 
you can lean in and, and kind of go hard right now. And I think there's people who are cowering when they shouldn't be. Obviously, some adjustments need to be made. But like you said, top of funnel still has to get filled. Otherwise, 100%. you're going to come out of this and be like, you're going to be behind the eight ball. Yeah, exactly. He is Sean Finder, the CEO and founder of AutoClose. Sean, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me on, Rudy. That wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guests for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.